Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, we thank you for continuing on with us in this series uh, through the book of James. Uh, James, earlier on in the book, deals with the issue of trials. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Rasul dealt with the issue of wisdom. But now, the interesting thing about trials, the same Greek word for trials is the same Greek word for testing. Uh, or rather for temptation. And so we know that temptation and testing are two different concepts, but it's the same Greek word. We could say that they are two different sides of the same coin. In many ways, God is testing you so that he could see you produce fruit. And in the same way, the evil one is tempting you so that you might fail. We can say easily in here that everyone's going to go through trials. We know that no one is exempt from trials. We know that many of you have gone through trials and you've worked through trials. But if it's the same, it's the same coin, but a different side, same word, different context, then I could say the same thing about temptation. That we've all been tempted, amen? that we're working through temptation and that we've had things that we've fallen based upon temptation. Temptation is powerful. It wouldn't be temptation if we didn't want it, amen? And sin wouldn't be interesting if it wasn't good to us, if we didn't like it. And so temptation oftentimes can be so powerful that we can get ourselves to think the temptation that I have is so intense that there's no way I could have victory over it. There's no way that I could succeed. One of the things that from our human condition we can't help ourselves is that when we have temptation we have a tendency to shift the blame from my own responsibility to something else outside of me. Right in the book of Genesis, right when we see the first sin, Adam, he eats of the fruit. And what he says is, uh, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. You see, God, it really wasn't me. It was this woman you, and you did it. And if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't be in this situation. Another way of putting it is, God, this sin, is so this sin is so overwhelming, you must want me to sin. The urge is so strong, it must be obeyed. Interestingly enough, Eve, right in the next verse, says, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And what she's saying in essence is, the devil made me do it. I, I, I would not have done it 
if the evil one hadn't beguiled me and got me to do what I shouldn't have done. If the devil wasn't around, I wouldn't have done it. God, if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't have done it. All of these people have a tendency to shift the blame. And these are the first people. These are our ancestors. And their blood is in our blood. And we have a tendency to do that too. The drunkard, person who is overwhelmed with drinking, says, I drink because of my problems. And if my problems weren't this way, I wouldn't drink. Instead of saying, I have a drinking problem that I need to take responsibility over. You know, there are people who they blow up and their emotions explode and they say, you know, I've always been this way and if the situations weren't like that, I wouldn't be this way. Instead of saying, I need to get my emotions under control. The lazy man or the lazy woman sees their inability to get success because everybody's gotten things that they were never able to get and the opportunities were given to other people that never went their way. Instead of saying, I need to become more disciplined in my work life. We all have a tendency to shift the blame from our responsibility to create victory in our life and see it as another situation, another thing happening to me. That is James' goal in this chapter. He wants to make sure, don't shift the blame, rather see the opportunity for victory. Amen? See the opportunity because for every temptation you face, God always gives a path to victory. You know what the problem, the problem is, is not, is there a path? The problem is we don't want to look for it. <laughs> Amen? Let's look in the book of James. James chapter one, verse 13. James one, verse 13. In verse 13, this is exactly what James is saying. James says, let no one when he is tempted say, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Here James is using the imagery of a conversation. He says, let no one say this. Now, what he's talking about is not a dialogue with another person, but in actuality what he's doing is he's dealing with your inner monologue. Another way of saying that is, James is saying, I've noticed people rationalize their sin by saying things like, this, this urge is so powerful, it must be from God. So in essence, he's saying, don't say this to yourself. Don't rationalize this in your mind. There were some rabbis that even taught that evil impulses have been created by God and since God created the impulse, your impulses therefore should be obeyed. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, Paul the apostle is dealing with the sexual promiscuity in the Corinthian church. 
And one of the things he does is he quotes one of the authors and the philosophers of that day. One of the things they would say is, they would say food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, the imagery that they're saying is you have a stomach and when you get hungry, what do you want? You want food. So that urge to have food must be satisfied and when you satisfy that urge, that's a good thing. If you have an urge, you must fulfill it. That's what the philosophers of that day would say. And Paul would later go on to clarify that not all our urges should be obeyed. But that's what our culture says too. That's what they said in Corinth, but that's what they say now. If you've got an urge, it must be satisfied. If it feels strong, it must be obeyed. All your impulses need to be validated. And the stronger the current that you feel, the more God must have put it in you. But when you believe that urges must be obeyed, you know you become reckless and you become dangerous. I say that again. And you know people like this. You know people that just do it because they feel it and their lives are a mess. Because obeying your feelings will make you a destructive person. It'll make you an abusive person. It'll make you a reckless person. You know, years ago, uh, it, it was kind of a sad it's sad and something that we've had to repent of, even as a culture. Um, for years, it was a well-known thought that R. Kelly was a pedophile. Um, and within the culture, we kind of accepted it. Um, he would later go on to be arrested for pedophilia, sexual assault, and child pornography. But when you look in his autobiography, we learn that when R. Kelly was eight years old, there was a woman in his household who would ask him to watch uh, pornography with her and to watch her have sex with somebody else at eight years old. From eight to 14, he would go on to say he had been sexually abused by an older woman in his home. R. Kelly's brother would go on to say that he suffered from years of sexual abuse at the hands of his older sister, Teresa, who, entrusted, who was entrusted with babysitting them. R. Kelly grew up in a home where physical and sexual abuse was a part of his life. And though he may have been a victim of that kind of lifestyle, he also created victims. They would say in a memorandum uh, of the prosecutors that convicted R. Kelly of his crimes, this is what they said, listen, Robert Kelly is a serial, is a serial sexual predator who over the course of many years specifically targeted young girls and went to great lengths to conceal his abuse of minor victims. To this day, and even following the jury verdict against him, watch this, Kelly refuses to accept responsibility for his crimes. 
To the contrary, Kelly brazenly blames his victims and argues that his abuse of 14, 15, and 16-year-old girls was justified because some of his victims, as minors, wanted to be pursued as, a, as, as romantic and wanted a sexual connection with him. What they are essentially saying is, R. Kelly will never accept that he committed a crime. Why? Because he told us. He told us in 1994. He said the same thing as food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. He said, my mind is telling me no. But my body is telling me yes, and I've got to obey it. I've got to do it. My urge is so strong. What happens when your urges are so strong that you destroy the boundaries of other people? You see, this is what happens when urges must be obeyed. You make other people obey them too. You become dangerous and reckless. And everything in our culture says if you feel it, do it. But clearly, if we take that to its end, if everyone just takes what they feel like they should have, we already know some of you are in a financial mess right now because of your financial impulses. There's just things you like, I should, and that means I will. And your bank account is like, stop. <laughs> Emotionally, some of you believe if you get real angry on the inside, we all need to know. And you've, you've, grown, you've, you've done that so long that you think it's a good thing that people are intimidated by you. When really just people scared, people don't feel like dealing with you. When you obey financial, emotional, or sexual impulses, you become reckless, dangerous, and you miss out on what God has for your life. So what many of us are trying to do is we're just trying to keep it in a cage, just on real, real small, so that no one knows. We try to have some manageable impulses. I got about three or four impulses nobody knows about. But over time, Impulses and urges grow. So the key, the first key is not to rationalize them. Another way of saying it is to call sin, sin. We rationalize. We, we say, this is who I am. I was created this way. I've always been this way. People know me this way. Or we just say, I'm too corrupted. I, I can't defeat this. I just always find myself in this situation, so there's no path to victory. Or we say the conditions that I'm in are, are, are just clearly putting me in spiritual deficit, so this is what God must want from me. Because clearly, I fall so often in this area, emotionally, socially, sexually, financially. God must want this for me. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> Talking about temptation this Sunday, it got real quiet. It's like, mm, people shifting their eyes. Talk about it. We're going to talk about it. 
What, what is James saying? Temptation can feel so strong that you think God did it. Temptations can feel so strong they feel God endorsed. So this is why on the back end of this verse, James therefore clarifies God's character. So he says, first of all, don't rationalize in your head that God must be tempting you. But then he says, look here in verse 13, this, the back half of it. God can't, can't be tempted by evil, with evil. And he himself tempts no one. He himself tempts no one. God is testing you towards obedience. The evil one is tempting you towards failure. God is, therefore, aware of evil. He's aware of temptation. He's aware of the evil one. But God and evil live in two different realms. God is not persuaded by evil. He's not tempted by evil. But though, but though he knows its availability. Habakkuk 1 and 13 says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Now, I don't have time to go into this, saints, but God is holy. <laughs> and there's no one like him. God does not want you to sin. He doesn't put sin in front of you so that you might sin. But God believes that because you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, victory is always possible. Okay? And, and so, yes, God, therefore, what do we say? God permits temptation. God permits the evil one to tempt you. But he does not permit it as if he is wanting you to sin. We learn this in the book of Job, the book of Job chapter one, verse eight, the Bible says <laughs> that Satan had been, it's a, it's, Job is just a fascinating book, if you ever get a chance to read it. it. Just basically says Job is like, I'm looking for somebody to mess with. I've just been walking the earth trying to mess somebody up, right? And the Lord has this conversation with Satan, and this is what he says. Now, notice, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, you got to see what just happened there. The evil one is looking for someone to tempt. And the Lord says, have you checked out um, Job? Go get him. But what does he say after that? Does he say, because I know he's going to fall. He lifts up the character of who he potentially will be. We, when we think God can be tempted, we think Job went to Satan. I mean, rather, uh, God went to Satan. Uh, rather, Satan went to God and went up to God and be like, yo, I've been checking Job out. And I feel like he'll fail. Give, like, give, give me a chance and I'll take him out. But Satan did not present Job to God. God presented Job to Satan. Does anybody understand what I just said to you? That means that the temptation and the test you've been hand-selected for. 
And you've been hand-selected based upon your potential for victory, not failure. You've been, you have never been put in a failed situation. You know, when I played football, I played on some failing teams, teams we, boy, you know, I went in high school, I was, I, I won a lot in high school, praise God. I don't want to brag. But I got to college, we stunk. We, we were not good at all. And it was like every game, we failed. And I was like, we can't win. We're just not going to win today. We're not going to win with this team. And, it can, and, and one of the things that I realized that I didn't realize in high school is that failure is a culture. Losing is a mindset. We, we lost before the game started. And what I'm trying to tell you is if you don't read this verse right, you will think Satan said, hey, 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 look at her. Look at her. Get, get, let me at her. Let me at her because I know I'll get her to fail. When God says, hey, 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 look at her, I know she'll have victory. You got to know who started the conversation. You got to understand who is. So the, so the main thing is that we, you just got to get the image out your mind is to presume that God and Satan are on some kind of equal plane. Like they're on some boxing poster where God's like, yeah, and then Satan's like, put them up. And they're like this. And they're in two different sides of a ring. Listen, Satan is not on, in the lead. He's on a leash. He's on a leash. That's... That's God, little Satan. <laughs> look, look what happened. Yeah, come here, baby. Come here. Go, go mess with him, okay? And then tell me how it goes. He's not in the lead. And when you believe he is to be obeyed, you think he's in the lead. And the temptation that you experience, no matter how intense it feels, it is never been intended to be for your failure. God did it. God put you in that situation. I know it don't feel like it, because you ain't thinking about the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when you're about to sin, the last person you think about is Jesus. <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah. But God is setting you up. And you, you're going to have to learn how to grow in obedience. Now, we're going to talk about more of this next week when we talk about how sin grows in our life through our desires. We're going to talk about that. But there's a promise the word gives us. Now, so what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is God sets you up for victory. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 gives us a picture of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Ah, but when you are tempted, he will. Say he will. He will, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. That's what we call a promise, saints. That's a promise. Now, let, let's, let's uh, as we uh, land the plane, let's look at uh, this verse and unpack it. Because we're trying to understand God's character. Uh, how much temptation? No temptation. 
Look at the power of that verse. There is not a temptation that you've ever faced that God has not set you up for victory. No temptation. No temptation. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you. Now, I want you to notice that Paul says this in the past tense. So he says, I know y'all, you, you've been overtaken a couple times, but I want you to know that all the things you ever did, they were common. One of, so, so the first thing is, uh, Paul covers all the temptations when he says no temptation, amen? But then he says, any temptation you have ever faced, it's common. What is one of the evil one's greatest lies? One of his greatest lies is, you are going through something unique. And because you're in such a unique situation, no one should know. So keep it quiet, because if they find out, they're going to have you arrested for just being crazy. You understand? You, you have such a, you know, this, this thing you're going through. When people find out, they're actually going to look at you as if it's uncommon. Paul says, no, what you're going through is common. Temptation is common. What does the word common mean? It means it's the root of community. And the idea, therefore, is we need community to be able to understand the temptations we are all facing. This is why when you preach, I don't know everything you've been through, but I have a general understanding that something I'm saying is affecting you. Why? Because it's common to mankind. I don't know what you've been through, but I know what we go through. I don't know your specific situation, but I know sin in general. I know how it works. I've sinned once or twice. <laughs> so then what does he do? He then moves us into God's character. He says, God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. He doesn't talk about me. He doesn't talk about you. He doesn't talk about my strength. He doesn't talk about victory. He doesn't talk about defeat. He says, God is faithful. So after he talks about the nature of temptation, he starts lifting up the character of God. God is faithful. And in God's faithfulness, God is promising you victory. He's promising you the potential of victory. Now, we, we have to understand that when God puts us in a situation where he wants us to be victorious, the truth of the matter is we fall into sin because they feel powerful, but they not only feel powerful, they have a benefit. We, we sin because there's something we want. And generally we sin because we want to break the boundary that God created to get what we want. And Satan says, I'll give it to you. We look at the temptation of, of, our, of our Savior, Jesus, and, he, and he's really trying to get Jesus, Satan is, trying to get Jesus to think about the power he could have. 
but he's essentially saying break the boundaries God created to get what you want. So here's what I want you to think of. You have to think of temptation as Satan's promises. He's promising you something. And it's very important you look at temptation that way. When you're alone at night and you're tempted to say something, watch something, do something, you're actually wanting to experience the promise of the evil one. It's a promise. You can feel good. You don't have to listen to them people. Go off. Yeah, just go off. He's promising you a good feeling. A rush. A burst of energy. And far too often, Satan's temptation promises feel more tangible than God's peaceful promises. They're just right there. It's right there. I can just, I can do it, I can say it, I can feel it right now. But I want to tell you something if you don't know this already. Satan's promises are always followed by pain. And if not pain, regret. If not regret, confusion. And if not confusion, doubt. What I'm trying to say is sin feels good in the moment, but it always comes with a receipt. I've been trying to eat right, praise the Lord. And uh, thank you. I don't know why we decided to have Chick-fil-A at our men's time. I don't know why. I don't know who thought about it. That person should repent. During a 21-day fast, who thought of that? But God was faithful. I yielded not to temptation. In here. But some, 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 one of his minions brought Chick-fil-A home to my house. And I had preached the word yesterday. I was famished. I was, I was, I was hungry. And it, it, was, it was the spicy one. And it was, just, it was just looking at me. And it said, you deserve this. And so I ate. Oh, and it was good. But what's crazy is that my body is used to like broccoli and cauliflower and like blueberries. Like my, bro somebody asked me like, have you, have you taken Ozempic? I was like, oh. I was like, I've been taking vegetables, praise God. That's a, I bought that. My body's so used to eating a certain way that even though it's good, it doesn't feel the same way in my body anymore. My, my appetite has been changed. But that Chick-fil-A tasted good for like 10 minutes. But then my stomach, 
my body, my body was telling me no. But you have, you felt that. And I, I want you to get that word picture. The next time you are tempted, don't think of it as something for you. Think of that there's someone behind the temptation making you a promise. He's making you a promise. And you, and you will obey. And those promises and his pro- the evil one's promises come with a momentary benefit. But lasting regret. And you already know. This is what I'm saying. It's common. You already know what I'm talking about. And you're going to have to fight this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And we fight it better in community. So how can we experience more victory over temptation? Amen. Look back at <clears throat> what Paul says in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, but when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Somebody say a way out. out. Well, he will. You know what that is? That's a promise. He just said, God will always give you a way out. I like the NIV. It's a way of escape. There's always a way out. Now. We don't always want out, but there's always a way out because I'm faithful. No, because God is faithful. God is so faithful. He'll always provide a way of escape, but we just got to take the way we got to take the promise. I was driving one day in an area I had never been before on the highway. And I committed a sin, multiple sins. I got a text message. I was waiting for a text message even, so I was planning out my sin. And I was uh, waiting for a text message, and I got a text, and I read it. So I'm reading my text while I'm driving, and then I even responded to the person, typing and everything. I know, shame. But you know what I did? While I typed back, I missed my exit. You ever done that? Just feels so silly. So I had to go a few exits down, get back on it, loop around, come back around, all the way around. But I got another text message. And I read it. And I responded back. And guess what I did? I missed that same exit. And I just felt like a fool. So I went on, a few exits up, went around, came back around, back around, get right. And the person texted again. Now what do you think I did? Boy, I kept my eyes on that road. Because I didn't want to miss it. I want to give you three points from that analogy. Because I kept missing the place that I was supposed to be, I delayed where I was supposed to be. 
Sin is delaying your progress. God has something for you because he's making you into someone that looks like him. There are opportunities you'll never experience because you are living in a state of sin and he needs you, he's calling you to live a life of righteousness. You are delaying your progress. Every time you say yes to Satan's promises, you are delaying the progress of God in your life. Now he's good, he's faithful, he'll endure with you. I'm just trying to say that you're slowing down who you could be when you say yes to his promises. The second part of that that I want you to take from that analogy is, remember I had to go around, way around, way around, but at least I went back around. I just had to go a few exits up. If you miss the way of escape when you're in a temptation, don't keep going that same direction. Turn around. Turn from your sin. Because I want you to know, if you miss the way of escape, there's always another exit. It's called the blood still works. Okay? There, there's always another exit ahead. What, what, that's the gospel. You can always turn back around. You can always turn back around. Yeah, you delayed it, but he didn't deny you. You can always turn back around. There's always another exit, and it, it, the blood still works. Get off on the next exit. But thirdly, when you do get back into that position, this time, I kept my eyes on the road instead of the distraction. Keep your eyes on Jesus because the more that you focus on Jesus this is what he does he you start to delight yourself in the Lord you see the way to defeat sin is to want Jesus more than the sin you you can you can discipline yourself you can say I'm not gonna sin until you start wanting Jesus more than sin you will have momentary progress but not lasting success I, I want him, y'all. What we say, can't nobody do me like Jesus. You see, that? that's the thing. Sin can't do me like Jesus. And I've come to the conclusion. I want him. I want the promises of God over the momentary promises of evil. So keep your eyes fixed on him. And before you know it, a year from now, you'll be more of the person God has called you to be. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you give us the progress that we so want in our lives. We do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would change us, make us into the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. 
Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.